everyone. I'm Kelsey Litchfield, along with Karen Corrigan and Jennifer Campbell, and this is Girls Talk Ad. Today's episode is brought to you by the National Pork Board. Request your free on-farm sustainability report at porkcheckoff.org forward slash sustainability. Today, we have a special guest on the podcast, Jason Mock. He is a farmer from Indiana, and you may know him on Twitter as CEO of Muncie Meats and other hats as he likes to wear. And today we are talking about direct-to-consumer meat sales. So this topic has come to the forefront due to skyrocketed sales from bottlenecks in the supply chain and the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, in my experience, we just used to buy maybe a quarter of a beef from a neighbor, and now it has evolved to selecting individual cuts and getting it shipped directly to your doorstep. So to kick things off, Jason, please introduce yourself and tell us more about you and your business. Yeah, thank you. I farm both sides of my family farm growing up. And uh, over the last few years through social media has allowed me to meet a lot of people. And uh, we decided to purchase a meat company uh, just as another step in the uh, journey, if you will. I know they use that word in like the bachelor all the time. It's kind of annoying, but you know, our family farm has really tried to position ourselves to kind of ride out tough times. Um, so, uh, my, you know, my family farm, the mocks, we have 12,000 pigs. We use that manure to grow corn. And uh, when you look at like fertilizer prices going up, you know, that, that puts us in a good spot. So meat, buying a meat company, uh, our intentions initially were, I think I'm going off on a tangent here, but just try to figure out how we can be more resilient. Uh, with COVID, we thought there was a lot of opportunity uh, there with things we were seeing. So I apologize for not doing my homework 100%, but you say you bought a meat company. I guess I didn't realize that. I I thought you had just started selling. So you process your own meat as well? Yeah. So Muncie Meats, uh, when we bought it, they served restaurants and, and they were kind of like a dinosaur broadliner uh, where all these Cisco's, U.S. Foods, uh, PFG's, you know, grew. Muncie Meats used to be one of those people. Uh, when you bet, we actually had a McDonald's contract in the 60s. So we used to do about 20 million in sales in the 60s. And the owner just kind of boiled it down to a smaller business. And uh, when COVID happened, he just had, he didn't have a viable business plan anymore, but he did have this big cold building uh, with processing. And we've completely changed the business model. Oh, wow. Okay. So do you raise cattle or you buy them? My uncle raises cattle. Uh, uh, my my brother-in-law raises cattle. I don't personally raise cattle. We're going to start next year uh, doing different things with, with rotational grazing. Uh, but what I, my dream is to create brands and, uh, you know, help farmers create their own own brands and start from uh, right off the hoof, uh, build a network of USDA harvest facilities that will funnel into more technology. So we've, you know, with all the the, the grants and stuff that have been awarded through COVID, we've, we've spent those dollars on packaging and we've just, we're, we're making the X nine for, uh, to where we take kill and chill, we'll have kill and chill networks. It comes to Muncie meats and then we'll, we'll process that and create the channels to outflow. That. Do you use your own hogs, your farm hogs? We do not. They're Tyson. 
Uh, so they go to the Tyson factory. And to be honest, the, the, you know, the thing we, we started with a manure project, me and Jonathan, about four years ago. I'm on the board of directors at a large feed mill. I see exactly what goes on behind the scenes. And, uh, the, you know, their, their muscle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, a lot of these uh, intermediate uh, <clears throat> integrators are gone now. And uh, it's impossible to have a hog barn because they're just going to pay you this matrix price. It just doesn't work anymore uh, with the pigs. And I see that coming with cattle unless we kind of build this kind of middle ground and, and brand and value creation in between. So do you, do you not sell hog then? Pork? Pork, sorry. We sell a lot of pork. We sell oh, okay. So where do you get that from then? We're getting it through the, you know, the, those channels. Um, oh, and, okay. And, and we were getting the beef through those channels. We still do, but we're trying to, we're trying to eliminate the, the cargo boxes coming in and replace that uh, with, with the process. So we started with the plan. Uh, we bought it July 1st of 2020 in the middle of COVID. And then COVID kind of around our area just, just punched us right in the mouth around Thanksgiving. And it kind of shut down us moving and progressing. But it, it took literally 14 months of pushing, pushing, pushing. Okay, we did this. Can we get this through to get uh, us to allow us to grind hamburger? And now we've got two people that are federally stamped that will harvest. So we've actually created this machine that I've been wanting to uh, just in the last month. So now we can now we can go after everything. I find it very fascinating that what you were are doing is being a direct to, to consumer, but still selling grocery store meat. Is that am I understanding that right? Yeah, so so the so the so the blank reality today is you have a lot of people who want to go out for a niche, but until you have the volume, you got to have the cash flow to pay for the infrastructure to be able to help yourself. You got to have those contracts, and we we had a lot of contracts when we bought it, uh, but we've expanded our sales, and now that we can actually, you know, you can sell. Let's say you sell fifty thousand dollars for the steaks in a week. You got to do something with all the fats and all that stuff, and it, it was right. killing us, and we couldn't turn that into hamburger. And now that we can do that, now we can go to the farmer and connect him with the harvest facility. And now we can we become whole. Because and we I need that volume to buy the trucks, to buy the logistics, to buy the vet, and make that all work. See, that makes it that makes it make sense in my head because long before social media, Chris and I tried to have hogs butchered and sell um, cuts and you end up with random cuts that nobody wants. And, and to get the bacon and the sausage enough in volume that people want, you have, you have a freezer full of cuts that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and also from a standpoint that, I guess I find it fascinating that um, a lot of people doing direct to consumer meat, I don't feel like bashing is necessarily the word, but kind of throwing grocery store meat under the bus. Right, right. Very intentional. Okay. When we we went after our brand, uh, we called it your local choice because our average salary is 29,000 in this, in this area. So I can't, you know, if that's going to be most of our volume, I'm not going to throw them under the bus. Hell, I got 12,000 pigs behind my house. Right. So, so what you can do though, is you can have this pork chop that you got from, 
from there and then you raise pigs in the woods and now it feels supple and it's amazingly different and you can put that in front of people and now you've actually created that difference in that value add because you can say hey you can try both here you know the most powerful thing you can do is say yeah yeah have him farm your ground and then he doesn't mow the side ditches and has water hemp or something and then they come back run it back so put people's choices in their in their hands and now you don't have to just smear shit on everyone else. And I, I applaud you for that because, because there are people, and you do it as well, are a grocery store farmer. You, you raise Tyson meat. And I think choice is, is hugely important here because, um, number one, local and, and maybe not what you're doing exactly. Now, now it kind of changes this a lot. Chris and I always say that local eating local is a luxury. Um, not everyone can afford it. And it's not possible year round. Um, you know, like fresh veggies at the farmer's market. But you're kind of changing that local concept. Fascinating. Yeah. And there's a lot of things you can do with that. With uh, you know, like aquaculture, greenhouses and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, I, a friend of mine, John Kemp, he's an Amish guy. And, you know, no matter what he does to get quality, the distributors have the power because they can't ship that perfect thing anywhere. Right. You know, so you, you, you can make average products for the masses and it's a, it's always going to be a small group that you can service with with quality. And that's just and, the way it's, and it's 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 a small group that can afford that on the regular mm-hmm. um, as well as like. If I wanted to, I could probably buy, I I couldn't serve it every day in my home, but I could buy a little luxury if I wanted to in my meat quality. But um, it's sometimes it's about convenience too. Those luxury products like a brisket or a really, really fine cut of meat is not always readily accessible. Like people are shipping boxes across country now, which is great. But to be honest, I don't plan well enough. If I need to run into Walmart for me, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to, you know, if I need something thawed out, instead of pulling it out of my freezer, I need the Walmarts and the Kroger's. Mm-hmm. Jason, we asked on Twitter just for people's opinions of direct to consumer meats. Do you buy? Do you sell? And a majority of them says the demand is great. We can't keep up with supply. And a lot of them talked about burnout too because of covid and the heavy um sales that were going through that what has been your experience when it comes to supply and demand we've done a lot of homework and we've created a lot of uh relationship building uh so it's the same same thing with our whole flow we we've it's just gonna be a price point on getting the box beef in uh but we've worked to uh uh, procure. We're working with a large beef herd called Biotown Ag in Western Indiana. Um, and the tangent I want to maybe I get off of thing here, but I think everything comes down to creating more value out of a byproduct. And Biotown Ag service the uh, the seed corn companies by taking their uh, their corn cobs. And he started doing this about 20 years ago. Now he has 6,000 head that he feeds corn cobs to. They push the manure and they, and they power actually two towns. And, he, and he's become such a viable uh, business model just on that, that we came in and kind of created a brand for that beef uh, because it's a better quality. It takes about uh, four more months for that 
cow to finish out, but they really don't care because they're feeding a byproduct. Um, so that secured uh, with 6,000 head, we could kill up to 100 a week out of that herd. And then filling in the gaps uh, uh, with local farmers. And until we had the harvest facilities, could ground hamburger, and now we've got the shelf spaces, uh, being in locally owned gas stations, our automated farmer's market, now we can actually help the farmer uh, process his cattle down uh, to custom. We've got better packaging uh, to service them. So that's basically the two major things we're focusing on now. And we're trying to just shove off the box beef, shove off all that. That, that was going to be my next question. That. So you're going to to put that, you're, you want to focus and be fully local? Yes, yes. Okay. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for the people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org forward slash sustainability. I want to talk a little bit about your automated farmer's market because I totally want one of those here. Please. Yes. So... Uh, automated farmers market is basically just this large it's 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 literally taking uh like refrigerators and stacking them in columns so we've got 20 lockers that is five deep four top to bottom and each column we can change from 120 degrees to negative 20 degrees so we can we can actually like be in between like uber eats and stuff if we wanted to uh but what what we how we design this uh first from the business model standpoint we want to find the Nile River. So you find the Meyer, you find the Hy-Vee, you find the whatever, the Walmart, where everyone's going to get their groceries anyway. And then, and then your prospects are the businesses around it. So we found a Harley-Davidson dealership that's right in the in, in, entrance of Meyer, and we put it there. And then we give 2% of our sales back to them. And then how it works for the customer is they go to our website, they order what they want. We fill that package and then the machine actually has Wi-Fi on it and it sends a text message and an email to the consumer when it's loaded in there. And the beauty for the consumer is instead of them going into the Walmart, the Meyer, parking, walking in, waiting in this line, this line, literally you can't get in and out of there in less than 20 minutes. It's probably going to be 30 or 40. They can drive right up to it. Their grandma their kids with snotty noses stay in the car, they get out, they put their QR code up against it, they get their stuff in 20 or 30 seconds. So it just buys them time. And honestly, we thought it would grow more. We're kind of stagnant uh, in an area, it's still working, uh, but that is in place. We've got all the bugs out. And now that we can uh, harvest the, the animal, now we're gonna have people get a quarter beef and, and put their back their truck up to it grab their stuff in four containers and have that pickup process take three or four minutes. So it's going to be used. And now, you know, if we get a greenhouse, we can, we do that. And we're trying to bouquet different growers, different of different things into that box and put that in a place where commerce is uh, easy 
easy access. I would totally use something like that. That's totally my style. I don't buy the quarter or the half. Um, I just, I can't use all that stuff. I'm not a big cook. And mm -hmm. so I like to buy the cuts. So I would buy pork from uh, a more pork, um, Brian up in Minnesota and he would ship it to me and he would only ship me the cuts I liked and he would ship, um, he has this amazing shredded pork, <laughs> but then, you know, I also have some here local that, you know, Dr. Rickard at Illinois state university, they have a family farm and they sell beef direct and I buy from them too. So, you know, that's more up my style. Like I, I can't do the quarter half. I wouldn't know what to do with all of that. And this allows it to stay fresh. We don't have to, we don't have to freeze it into a hockey puck. Uh, yeah. And I can get what I needed as I wanted it too. Mm -hmm. One of the interesting things, uh, my, you know, I lost my father 10 years ago, my, my mom's boyfriend, we went to vacation together and he, he told me we we're sitting there drinking some bourbon. And he's like, you can't, you can't tell the customers. Cause I do Facebook lives in front of it, trying to promote it. And I'm trying to share the story of, I'm, I'm not trying to say poor, poor farmer, but I'm trying to articulate the spot that farmers are in, just like Jennifer talked about. Oh, you're raising for Tyson for the supermarket. The, the reality is, is we have no independence in meat production anymore. And I'm trying to articulate this on Facebook Live of I'm trying to get more value to the farmer. And, I, and he said, I think he's saying like, people's perception of farmers is they're getting all this free government money. They're rich, they're wealthy. Don't do the poor, poor farmer. So I'm, I'm kind of at ends of myself of how I'm going to uh, share this story with the consumer and make them want to uh, get more value to the farmer. Cause the, the tangent I'm trying to go here is the farmer. Now, if he raises cattle, he gets a buck 29, right? So why can't I why can't I funnel his product through an AFM through the local convenience store and sell his his ground beef for wherever the market equilibrium is? So say it's 420, 450, and then give him five, 10% of that back on the backside and create more value. I want to share that story with people. Uh, but I think it's perceived as, oh, you're gonna line his pockets up even more. But maybe I it's a story that I just share with the farmer. I, I think that's right. And it's funny you should say that because this morning, um, it used to be when I first started social media and all this, it was uh, quit preaching to the choir and, you know, get your brand and talk to the consumers and educate, which I hate that word. But maybe, maybe it's not so much preaching to the choir as it is we're going to have to find solidarity. We need to wor be working together as opposed to against each other. And, and I think, yeah, I think sharing where your food comes from is important, but I also often wonder if your average consumer really cares. And I, I don't know if that's acceptable to say, but you know, you've got three kids going three different directions and you're working full time and you you want the convenience of Walmart and, and McDonald's. And in your case here, you're providing that convenience locally and getting something at a little higher quality. I, I don't, I don't know that educating the consumer anymore is where, where we're at. Maybe what, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. I mean, we really need to just put it in your hands, Jennifer. I mean, I need to make it more convenient. So I need to align better quality, put it in your hands. And the issue with that, because we started home delivery, when you're starting at zero, 
you know, I know routing very well because I was a landscape contractor in my 20s and I would direct sell it so I could have a clover leaf and I could mow six $50 yards around there and I would make a lot more return on time. So what I'm trying to really do now is find people that have taken this on of these neat routes and then kind of collaborating with them. So we populate dots on the map and we can actually efficiently do that and put that high quality product on your doorstep or something like that. Cause it's really hard to do when you don't have a lot of volume there. I, I think it's a, as a busy mom. I'm not into the Walmarts and the Myers and that I want the grocery pickup. Right. So I'm going to go, you know, to Kroger's or to Hy-Vee where they pick out good stuff and bring it to me out in my car with my kids still out there. So the idea of um, just being able to drive up and grab it without the kids getting out of the car is totally Mm -hmm. in my line of lifestyle. I think that busy moms, I think, I think your average consumer does care about the quality of food, but I think a little higher on that scale is convenience. Yeah. And, and why not? I mean, why why should they be concerned with how much a farmer is making? I'm not concerned with how much Joe Blow's making out there, um, unless he's being cheated or something. I don't I I don't know. I I think we put a lot of what do I want to say here? A lot of something on the consumer, and the consumer doesn't really care. And, and, and honestly, you know, the most valuable thing that I've created is people like actually listen to me sometimes and, and, and the consumer isn't going to give you more than five seconds. So you don't have enough time to articulate any story. And yeah. that's the main challenge. It, it's what can you do for me? That's all I need you to say in five seconds why this is best for me. And that is convenience and quality. Yeah. That doesn't open the door up for any innovation. (laughs) Jason, I have a question and kind of pivoting towards your business story. So you strike me as very innovative and entrepreneurial, and I love it and how you think outside the box. And through your process of buying Muncie Meats and thinking outside the box, did you Get any pushback for what you're doing? What kind of challenges have you encountered by trying to move in this direction? Well, uh, to be honest, my whole life is pushback. Um, you know that, and, and and you just have to choose to uh, to go after what you want. I mean, it's it's as simple as that. So, um, my my strategy and everything is to make quick decisions, try it, but hedge your risk, make calculated risk. And when we try to do something differently, we just start really small and we learn. And, and it really takes 3.0 or 4.0 before you figure out how that's going to tick. And then you can kind of put the gas pedal on. Um, so it's always resistant because I could simply uh, just farm, um, you know, wake up, get something done till 11, sit at the coffee shop till 1230, get back, you know, quit at four. And, and there's enough uh, own ground and stuff. I could have a comfortable life, but I've just seen, Honestly, uh, a lot of the positions that I've I've taken in the last few years, I've just seen how, um, you know, communistic the entire food system is becoming um, on the farmer side. They want the farmers to stay in their lanes. Um, you know, it you see this plant based beef and stuff like that. And I don't get emotional about it because I don't think people will enjoy the product to take enough 
But when you when you compare the CAFO with the plant-based beef, it's the same exact thing. It's both subsidized uh, commodities coming into a product that can be taken into the urban elites and they just want bigger cities and people are just losing this generational knowledge. And, uh, you know, as I continue on, if you want to continue to follow your dreams and innovate, you've got to create channels that actually make you money and then you can kind of spend it on trying to innovate. And that's kind of, uh, what fulfills me and, and kind of my team. And I think what, that's what attracts people, uh, to the, to the cause somewhat. Right. So, so, so I guess I'm answering your question. If you're swimming upstream, it's always going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> you're always thinking outside the box. There's always going to be someone that says that's not going to work. Or have you tried it this way? And from good success stories, you fail and then you learn and then you fail again. And then you learn some more. If you're a Yellowstone watcher, they Beth Dutton alluded to that in a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I digress. Uh, but I just think it's good to see business like this that is thinking outside the box, that is trying instead of just, you know, being content. And they want to they want change. And the only way you get change is if you change something and you are doing that through what you're seeing and what you're doing. And, and, and one thing that I kind of want to share, and I know Karen has talked about my intercropping. Um, I think I think we're in this race to the bottom uh, with, with farmers. We're seeing a lot of small family farms. I have a lot of you know older farmers that are in their upper 60s and mid 70s, and they're kind of handing it off. And I can see how this is going to kind of manifest in the next five or 10 years into these 10 to 20,000 acre operations where there's three combines and all this stuff. And it's just, it's, it's going to be never ending until we just AI it out and it's, it's automatic. And we, and sometimes you just gotta, you gotta take a step back, right. And look at how much unit, uh, unit value there is and how much margin we're getting for each unit, because it, it, it keeps getting watered and watered down. So with the relay cropping, there's a lot of people relay cropping. I think my, the, the edge that I put towards it is how much can we get, uh, per day, per ray of sunlight, per water, uh, you know, per seed, how much production are we getting? And this is first principles. And that's kind of what I'm wanting to do with the meat side when I shared giving the back to the farmer, but you know, we're, 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 we're chasing scale and we're getting that cost down to where there's no margin. And, and the, the way the ag economy works, you know, if, if corn goes to six bucks, then DAP goes to 1200 and, you know, rent goes to 416 and it's just, it, the, the, the treadmill goes up. So uh, no matter what we do, I'm extremely excited about stock cropper. Uh, if I could make your uh, audience aware of that, it, it really does encompass everything that I've been working on the last five years. And these are relationships I've built over the years and, and we're redesigning the way that we could get more production per acre and close the loop. Uh, the other tangent with this carbon economy, you know, the corporations are wanting to you know, start all these carbon credits, but if we could actually redesign the farm to where we have, you know, lambs, pigs, chickens go after a forage, which they disperse their pee and I'm using my hands a lot. I'm like Ricky Bobby today. <laughs> you get the manure in the soil and you grow your crop off of the manure. And then you feed the crop back to the, what walks off the farm is the market. And it, it, it doesn't have to go anywhere. And the only, you know, I can take a, a truckload of corn, but I got to have all these processing to turn it into a corn chip. 
I can, I can, with a knife, I can cut a chicken up and serve it to you with heat. And I think that is my goal in the next five or 10 years to, to decentralize the entire thing and, and create markets. And it's not going to be what's popular. It's not going to be the supermarket. It's not going to be what's on sale. It's not going to be the, the 99 cent milk that makes everyone come in and then they sell them $7 toaster strudels, make their money. It's, it's figuring out a design that decentralizes this whole thing. It's the only chance we got. But I also think that's not for everyone. Would you agree with that? I mean, that that's a very small group of people. Do you that would be I, able to do that? I agree, but there's every every other person is gonna is going to participate in the in the broader uh, solution. Uh, but, but by finding the principles and trying different things, then we can innovate and get everything cheaper down to a price point too. To be honest, I think what's going to happen is oil is going to get so expensive in electricity that it's actually going to change the curves where this stuff actually is the is the answer. And we're going to have so much innovation in that time and, uh, to where it's just what we do. Uh, but our solutions are broader and we can scale that uh, across. I mean, you're, you're not going to just hop in the tractor if diesel's $13 a gallon. You're not just going to chisel plow because I just want to make black, you know. <laughs> my father-in-law. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I, I, I think it is fascinating. Um, they say, you know, things come full circle. I mean, it's, it's a different process, but it's pretty much you know, going back to the way things used to be, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correct, I mean, you know, you might be, everyone isn't doing their own, but it, it, it is becoming more localized and, and, um, smaller, so to speak. Yeah. yeah. It's funny. Cause when you say like the good old days, honestly, the good old days sucked because you shoveled out the corn crib by hand. You had rats like crawling in your boots. You didn't have AC, you know, it was just, yeah. It was, and, but but if you integrate like technology into what you used to do, it doesn't suck anymore. And, uh, you know, I and, think that's where we're going to be headed. And I think that's a fascinating point because Chris and I talk all the time about how food production in the good old days used to be a full-time job for someone in the family mm-hmm. there. And, you know, you spent all summer growing your vegetables and canning them so that you had a winter supply and you had and, and processing a hog or, or a lamb or a cow, cow is is not a pleasant job. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then there's waste. And I think you're right. I think if you incorporate the good old days with the technology that we have today, um, and I've always said, I think there's room for everybody. So there are still going to be I, my personal opinion is you're still going to have your grocery store farmers and because there are times that you need those, there, there is a place for everybody in my, there's going to be a continuous erosion of the number of people that are serving that market. Now the acres are not going to erode as much as the actual operators. And, you know, it might get down to where there's only two or three operations per County that is serving that market. And if you're a young farmer, this is the bad part, you know, I mean, I was born in 1980. There wasn't room for me on a family farm when I got out of college. You know, I went to Indianapolis sell insurance because I could come back, but they're going to pay me $7 to shovel shit. Well, I'm not going to do that. And we're just, we're just getting rid of all the opportunity for the young farmer. And we can, we can, we can defend, you know, oil needs to be cheap and we need, we need to make money, but all we're doing is just erasing the 
opportunities for the next generation in all this. I'm not trying to put a, a damper on. I, I know people make uh, good livings all this, and and I and that's how I derive most of our income and wealth still. Uh, but that's what. I'm don't about. you think it's going to give other opportunities? Because I talk to my students a lot now. Well, maybe you can't farm, but you can certainly be an agronomist on a farm instead of going to a retailer or somewhere like that. So I think there's still going to be opportunity. I think it's just going to be a different type of opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I just keep going back to what you said in the beginning of just being more resilient. I think today's society, there are more ways to be resilient when you're faced with challenges. And it's kind of what you've been doing, Jason. You got to find those opportunities opportunities and try it and um, you'll you'll figure it out. But I think people are afraid to take a first step because they know they might fail or it's not the thing that they want to do, but it'll certainly help to get you where you want to end up. Uh Well, I think some of them don't take that opportunity because they don't feel they're equipped to, or they don't feel like they're smart enough to, or, you know, they don't feel like they can figure it out. Whereas if someone like Jason comes in and figures it out for you, now you just have to get on the train and we can all do this together kind of thing. So it's a great thing that you're making this opportunity for others, not just you know within your operation. You also, you also work on your family farm. I think that's important that I think we have, I think there are generations out there of, uh, above us and some of us in that generation that, um, the expanding into different ideas is a, is something that's hard to grasp. Um, it's been done this way. We've made a living this way. Why do we need to change it? Why do we, we are, we farm the ground, we sell the product, this is what we do. Um, Hats off to your family for, for, I guess they backed you, <laughs> told you. No, not, not necessarily. Uh, partially. I mean, I, I get my stuff done and I think I get, get better in that trade every year a little bit. Cause I'm learning in all facets, but right. everything, everything comes down to just not being 100% anything, mm-hmm. you know, just 1%. If you can, you know, get something rolling and create a network in that space is everything to try it. And I think that's what's happened is a lot of people are stuck in this. This is the way we've always done it. This is, this seems to be, and, and now we're in we're in this position where you know commodities are are no longer the prices are no longer not that they were ever in our control, but they're just it's we're, we're being I don't know I don't want to say held up, but I mean we're we're kind of stuck. Mm-hmm. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for people, pigs, and the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiency and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org forward slash sustainability. I think you'd be surprised at the number of people who are watching you and just guys who called me that are trying the relay cropping. 
Um, I didn't really know how many were doing it until I started getting calls asking, you know, well, can I still put this herbicide on if I have both the weed and the beans out there and things like that? And they're doing it on a small scale, but at least they're trying. Yeah. And it's really, I, I encourage people, yeah, just try it on a small thing and do it two or three different ways on the first time. And it's just more important to spend the time out there just staring at it five or 10 minutes a week and deriving how you're going to design it better for your soil types and all that stuff. Um, but it's first principles. It's, 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 it's not a fact, you know, and maybe it will continue to, to be, uh, you know, low usage in the first few years. But I think once we figure this out a little bit, I think it's going to grow. Um, is there any way I can, talk a little bit about the uh, fundraisers because it's it is the it is the engine uh for muncie meets a little bit i think i think it has a lot of use in other uh ways but basically uh we started this automated uh fundraiser uh this past winter and we're trying to get awareness to our e-commerce site which i think is very tough there's you know there's a lot of people trying to market you stuff um, we're trying to increase people's want to uh, want to uh, work with us. So we, we we have about a five minute consultation with and we've done all the sports teams. We've done football teams of all the county schools, basketball teams, churches, schools, you know, PTAs. All they do is we give them a, a we, we, we sign them up a hyperlink and they email blast it and then they print it off at their school. And then we'll have 50, 100, 150, 200 people go to our website and they'll order one of three beef and pork boxes. And then we show up with our truck and we deliver it over an hour. And all these people, we would never even touch the amount of participation if we're just yakking about ourselves. Uh, but by us helping that school out, give them 25% back, we're having so many more touches and we're populating the people that are aware of our e-commerce site. And uh, the participation is now created lists and awareness and, and it just you don't know where all this business comes from but but it, it's if if people would would start by giving and think convenience first i think it would help them out considerably uh when you when you compare that to like my social media presence you know i wasn't trying to just hold on to an idea and make money on my farm with relay cropping it was sharing it was making the connections that allowed me to launch once I created a social media presence and once I had a network and then, uh, you know, allow you to launch to do something else. And, and we really don't have, we're, we're on a crash and burn until we kind of build foundations in, in anything that we do. That sounds like you're very community based. And my question for you based off that is what is your ultimate goal besides selling product what what do you want the legacy of Muncie meats to be honestly my my goal is just to have a fantastic day-to-day -day life and I think I'm already there um you know I, I married the most fantastic woman in the world and uh we have a just a fan, great relationship and then my group of friends and you know, we know each other. We we get to speak our minds, and, and the network that's just getting drawn to this that wants to help out. I mean, that's that's really all that you can do. And you're going to have some really. We talk about swimming upstream. You're going to have some really tough things. Uh, one of them is we got to find the people that want to kill the animals. That's a tough job. 
And that's why Tyson has to get, take a bus down to, you know, Belize or something and bring it back because, you know, the job sucks. So it's, it's building these relationships that funnels the, 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 the people that can do a specific job and then creating a relationship and changing the entire way that you can compensate these people that are linchpins in your situation. So an example, uh, we found a couple of guys that are working to kill in all these local uh, harvest facilities. And I said, you know, how are they paying you? And it's hourly. And it's unfair because they've been there. They're good. So what, what do you feel like if we pay you, say, 20 bucks for each beef that you kill? You bring your and, and it's apples and oranges and, it, and it's, it's asking people what they want, what they want to get out of it and creating a, a bigger economy and flow and opportunity that allow you to get anywhere. Um, so it's just a continuation of this culture. And that's another thing I want to add. When, when you're doing these fundraisers, you're, you're delivering them, you're, you're giving money away, it changes the culture of, of your work environment. We're not over them micromanaging. We're asking how their family is. They know that we're giving first and it just changes everyone's productivity and everybody's drive. And, you know, I'm not Ted Lasso, but this is kind of how we operate here. <laughs> I think that just speaks volumes that you want to be a part of the community because there's a lot of companies out there that they're, it's, it's a profit and that's all they worry about. But I think the ones that are kind and give back are the ones that will ultimately in the long run succeed. So that's why I asked that question. I think it's deeper than just, you know, the surface of what you're doing. And I want to add um, just seeing the family dynamics and the family farms, because when, when farms go away and there are farms left, you create competition. You know, you go to the land sale, there's four people that want that farm or four people want to rent and someone takes that, acres away and you know people are doing this and it's because we have this scarcity mindset because we got to you know it's you need to farm stuff close to your bins you got to have that you get and it's it's an it's it's kind of disheartening it's probably the reason why i'm not chasing that is because of the culture in the farming community and, 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 and people are trying to be nice, but it, you know, in the fifties and sixties and seventies, you didn't think twice. You just helped everybody out. It's just kind of turned over somewhat. And that's not the rule. It's cutthroat out there. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to talk a little bit about the place that you're building your mm-hmm. little, we'll go ahead and you can tell us about it. <laughs> well, we've, we've seen this, me and Jonathan saw this on Zillow a couple of years ago. And once we kind of got Muncie Meats going a little bit, we saw the things in place. Um, we got it this July. And uh, there's two properties. The one we really wanted, this guy's name was Dick Howe. And, and he has this big company. He had all his employees build this huge feedlot with welded gates. He's got white fence everywhere. It's nice. It's got barns. And it's just gorgeous. And with uh, with the inflation and concrete and everything, it would cost a gazillion dollars to build this infrastructure. And now it funnels right in to what we can do at Muncie Meats. And it allows us to have farmer A, B, C, D bring five cattle and we can put them in place as we funnel them into our harvest facility. So it's tactical, but we have all this pasture. Um, so if you, if you follow me on social media, I do a lot of poly cropping and that's not enough. Once you move the animals in between there, you're like, okay. Um, 
it's one thing to say you're you're raising pigs in the woods. This is a label. Try the product. It's another thing to have that visceral experience where they come out and they have the pig actually come up and root up on them. You know, they pet the sheep. They they see uh, hops that are grown with animals in between it. So this this property just allows me to design and collaborate and bring everyone in in this space. And I don't care if it's stock crop or I don't care if it's collars on cattle and I can just move them on an app and just move 10 cattle, you know, to a new 16th of an acre every four hours. But we're gonna basically take everyone's innovation and put it in one spot and then make it a destination. And it's gonna be uh, outdoor Cabela's uh, so it's not in a store. If it, We'll have a big pond full of, uh, you know, Georgia Giant Bluegill. If you want Georgia Giant Bluegill, you call Tom right here, you know, and he'll fill your pond up. Uh, we'll have the stock croppers going between hops. We'll take those hops, make a beer, make a beer brand. So we're going to have supply, production, and the vertical integration into these relationships of local businesses. And just show you all you can do on an acre and all you can do kind of around a metropolitan. And once we build that design... Now we can take that to other places and emulate that. A big part of it, uh, me and Zach were talking this morning about a butcher experience, um, but we want that visceral experience. Uh, you know, a lot of people just haven't experienced it. They're used to building, you know, just picking stuff up at the supermarket. And it's not going to be for everyone. But these are stories and experiences that when they go back, they're going to diffuse because they're different. And Honestly, that's the way marketing works because we're just tired of hearing cheaper, cheaper, better, faster, cheaper. We want experiences in, the, in a, for an example. So I got a, a golf course that I built. Uh, we want to light it up at night, at least for a few hours. And let's say uh, we got three greens. Tom, Dick, and Harry have two, three different colored balls. It's got a camera on it. And we go for two hours, first one to hit a hole in one from 100 yards. And I'll have the greens actually funnel towards the hole so it's capable. Well, Tom hits a hole in one, he gets the, 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 the pot. And now he has a video that he goes back to his friend and said, look how I, I won $2,500. And they're gonna wanna come back. And everything is going to be completely designed around a new experience that they can't experience either in the country or in this commercial urban dog crap that you call the outside of the city. It's going to be. Oh, I can't wait to see the next five, 10, 15, 20 years and what else you're going to create. I bet you have a lot of ideas that you're thinking through and what's going to come next. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> well, Jason, we're wrapping up here. Is there anything else you wanted to share about yourself, about your business or anything that we didn't cover? I don't think so. I think I got most of it out, but I, I do appreciate, you, you know, a lot of questions has went my way, but I appreciate you girls doing what you're doing because that does take some bravery and some vulnerability and you guys are expressing who you are. And that's, that's really all we really need. 